If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Welcome. I'd love you to introduce yourself and explain why you're here and tell me what your question is and we'll see if we can talk about it and think about it together. So hi, Joanne. I am Tina. I'm a program coordinator for a for a uh, local diabetes organization that hosts both uh, camps for kids with diabetes, family camps, and an adult retreat in Washington state. Mm -hmm. I've also been heavily involved as a volunteer with the children with diabetes organization um, who holds a ginormous conference every July in Orlando because there's nothing like the heat of Orlando in July. Um, and then they also do a number of regional conferences around the United States and even in some other countries. And I'm a parent of three now adults with type one. So diabetes has been part of our life for a little bit over 17 years. Mm -hmm. A long time. And you've got a really rough um, genetic load there. Your deck was hard. It was stacked. So, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you became an activist is what it sounds like to me. Right. I mean, just to clarify, there's no history of diabetes prior to my three children on either side of the family that we're oh, aware. So, so it really was just out of the blue. That's a lot though. Tina, what is bringing you here? What are you wanting to think about with me? You know, I actually just saw a post on a local Facebook page called Poked where it was a, hey, there's this podcast, and it sounded really fun, and so I reached out and just wanted to learn more, and then I thought, well, shoot, you know, you might be a fantastic person to help me help other parents, um, whether they're calling me as uh, in my professional role as a program coordinator, or it's other parents I run into that just also have kids with type 1, or I'm down at my conference, or um, just mentoring newly diagnosed families. One of the questions that I get asked most frequently, um, and I've had to bat around myself, is how to encourage my child or other children. How how can other parents and myself encourage our children to be involved in diabetes related? events, organizations, um, go to camp, go to conferences, uh, go to meetups and meet other people with uh, type 1 diabetes who are experiencing the same struggles. Mm -hmm. Because not all, not all kids are anxious to go and do those things, to be involved. A lot of kids might think, well, I don't need to be around other people with type 1. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe there are those kids who really are fantastic all on their own. In my experience, being around people who experience the same things as as you do, it's very empowering sometimes. It's yeah. it's validating. Mm -hmm. it's, All of those things. Uh, 
it provides a community because diabetes can be an incredibly isolating disease, I think, for the person who has it and for the caregivers. Mm -hmm. Agree, agree, agree. Lots of check marks. So I think what you're wanting to noodle over is how how you how I think about how we together can think about how to encourage kids when they're putting digging in their heels that they don't want to do the thing, whatever the thing is, and particularly camp, but any kind of community building or involvement, I think is what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to just be camp. I mean, it's really any kind of community involvement. So I know that up in our area, we've got uh, Jordan Morris, who does like a soccer thing for kids with type one. He's on the Seattle Sounders and Mm -hmm. has type one. Um, there, there's all, I mean, we've lived in Texas, we've lived in Northern California, and now we've lived in Washington. And, uh, there's always different events or organizations that are putting on events and opportunities for kids to meet other kids with type one or to meet celebrities with type one or athletes with type one. And, and every time there's always those kids who just, no, I don't need that. I don't want to go to that. Mm-hmm. And the parents desperately want them to go to that. Mm-hmm. And how, like, should parents, like, should we be requiring our kids to go to these things? Should we be encouraging it? Should we be telling our kids, like, no, you need this when they don't think they need this? Because mm-hmm. even one of my three with type one was not the kid who wanted to go do the diabetes stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he did it because he knew I wanted him to, but he didn't. He wasn't enthusiastic about it. Let me start by sharing a little bit about um, my stance on it. I'm really curious about how you manage that when parents come to you. Um, actually, let's start there, Tina. I'd rather hear from you first. Like when parents come to you as a say your title again. My current position um, is program coordinator. So yeah, I'm oftentimes the first contact for parents wanting to learn about the programs. Got it. So when they ask that question to you, what do you say? I typically have just said, I don't agree with forcing a child Mm -hmm. into a situation that they're not comfortable with, whether it be camp or going to a conference or um, even if it's just a daily meetup. I, um, I think that Forcing something on a child regarding diabetes um, is not my personal preference. Mm-hmm. I I want my like just with my own child. I wanted him to know that the opportunities were available and that I believed that they had value. But it was ultimately always going to be their choice because mm-hmm. diabetes was not a choice. They didn't get to decide to have diabetes, and I. So that's why I think coming, I believe going at it with allowing them to always have a choice, whether it's a choice as to what insulin pump they want to use, if they want to use an insulin pump, if um, if they want to use a CGM. Um, like I, I'm very big on allowing the kids to have a lot of choices in that because diabetes wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I've never encouraged a parent to force it on them, but to make sure that the child knew it was an option. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So I have a very different perspective than that, actually. Um, and I also think that we have to know what age, what developmental age we're looking at, right? Because as kids get older, they do have more ability to make their own choices and should have more ability to make their own choices. So let's stick with younger kids first. 
um, because that's so much clearer. And then we can look at the grayer areas as kids get older. Yeah. Because I think that children don't know, right? About many, many things. Like when our children are little, they don't know that they need a nap. Right. And they don't know that they actually are hungry right now and they need to eat. And they don't know that um, they actually need a bath <laughs> because when they <laughs> fell down, that thing is going to get infected. Like they don't know. And they're relying on us and us to set good, firm boundaries about what we know is best for them in the gentlest of ways. But we need to do that. Like if they're monstrous because they're so tired, we're not doing them any favors. Like that's just us not being good at holding a firm boundary with our children. And there's actually a good amount of research on this um, that there's sort of a sweet spot of parenting. There's sort of permissive parenting and authoritarian parenting. I'm doing this thing with my hands because in my mind I can see the chart, right? And permissive is when you let the kid sort of dictate. It's very child-centered and child-driven, but there aren't any expectations, and authoritarian parenting, they're very high expectations, but you don't hear from the child at all. And research really shows that kids who are in that sweet spot, which is called authoritative parenting, which I find very confusing because it sounds like authoritarian, they both have high expectations and there's a lot of warmth. So what you want is to hear from the child, right? But to also set good firm limits. Children thrive and again, I'm talking about younger children, but even teenagers to some degree, children thrive when they know where the edges are. If they don't know where the boundaries are, they are always trying to figure it out. Because imagine how frightening it is, again, think young children, for a three-year-old to feel like they're in charge of, I'm going to make it really extreme, they're in charge of when and what gets eaten. They're in charge of when and what sleep patterns happen. That is overwhelming for a three-year-old. They right. need our containment. And despite the fact that there's, there's certainly, you're in good company, Tina, with a lot of people. And I think that diabetes picks up a feeling of they didn't choose this. So we have to give them lots and lots of choices. But I actually think it's a family disease, not an individual disease. And even what happens on their body is not a hundred percent up to them. So, my son, for example, did not want to be on a pump. He was on shots for years until I said, it's enough, right? Like he was also starting to display some very strange behaviors. Like he wouldn't, um, he didn't want to eat a snack because he didn't want another shot. You know, he was frozen. He couldn't mm -hmm. make any choices that were good for him. And so I had to come in and say, here are the limits. Like, here's the line. And with CGMs, absolutely was a hundred percent my decision because I was drowning because I had two kids and was up every night doing finger sticks. Right. Um, so I do think of diabetes as a family disease and we have to hold it that way. It's not impacting only our child. And it's sort of like, it depends where you live in the country, but for some of us, we say to our children, when you turn 16, I need you to drive. It's We don't make that an option. I'm not making that an option for my children because I am driving my children everywhere and I don't want to do that anymore. I need the flexibility and freedom to not. And so I tell them they have to learn to drive, right? I'm not making that a choice for them. It seems for many children like that's a privilege and they're excited to do that. But for some kids, they're not. And, I, and certainly for one of my kids, they weren't. 
And so I was saying, yep, I know it's hard. And this is what I need to see. This is what needs to happen. Like you're going to start driving yourself to school. I'm not doing that anymore. So I think that. Um, can, can I yeah. ask a clarifying question? Absolutely. So with, with like the pumps, for instance, wearing mm -hmm. an insulin pump, it was more of a, like, especially in my house, it was a, we're, we're you're going to get on a pump. Mm -hmm. okay? mm -hmm. yep. You get to choose what pump you want to get on. Great. I love that. Because the shots aren't working. Because you're either forgetting or you forget your kit or you forget this. So choices within absolutely like, this is what's gonna happen. These yep. are your choices. Yep. So I guess for me, if if I look at a child who is doing their diabetes management just outstanding, right? And and let's put an age on it, just let let's put the uh, middle school, for okay. instance. Okay. That's a hard age to be outstanding at diabetes management. So right. like they're doing what they're, okay. So maybe not, maybe outstanding is too, too loaded of yeah, a word. They're doing well. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Like mm -hmm. they're bullishing, mm -hmm. they're, you know, changing their sites, mm -hmm. they're correcting highs and lows, you know, they're, they're doing what they need to do. Their A1Cs, you know, acceptable, mm -hmm. even though we don't, I think, look at that as much anymore, but their time and range is acceptable. Like let's say 75%. That's amazing. Right. Is that amazing? Okay. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So they're doing what they need to do. They have friends out that, that don't have type one diabetes. Um, they're involved in athletics or clubs. Mm -hmm. They're totally well-adjusted kiddos, mm -hmm. but, but mom and dad still want them to go to camp. All right. So let, this is awesome. I love this example. And I love what you're saying. I totally agree with you. The giving choices inside the limitation is perfect. Like you need to eat a vegetable for dinner. Would you like broccoli or cauliflower? Right. Great. I mean, as long as you're not being a short order cook. I think the expectations are there then. Like we need That's to do right. this, but you're going to have some choices. Beautiful. I love that. And and I, I kind of think it's a little bit the same thing in these scenarios. So first of all, this 12-year-old who's doing great and is well-adjusted in multiple ways, were they just diagnosed or not just diagnosed? Because what I would hope is if they weren't just diagnosed, that there's been an opportunity before to get them involved, right? So, so I mean, part of this is like, I would hope that parents aren't thinking for the first time four years after diagnosis, like this child needs some connection. And so let's send them now when they're 12, the most developmentally necessary age for a child to step away from what their parents want, right? So I kind of agree there. If the kid yeah. is doing really well, they're four years into diagnosis, mom and dad have never sent them to camp. I'll get a few different scenarios here. Mom and dad have never sent them to camp and they're saying, I really don't want to go. I, I think you might have a hard time making a sale on that one or even holding a firm line. If they have gone to camp before and they really hated it, which I have to say is my daughter's situation. She hated camp, hated, hated, hated camp. My son loved camp. He did great at camp. My daughter hated camp. Um, but now I'm thinking of another situation for that situation we just said. Okay. Uh, uh, so my, my daughter hated camp. And so I stopped sending her at some point. I had tried enough. She had been going pretty much every year since she was born almost because of her, of her brother. And then I sent her on her own. And then, you know, so she had been there enough. I felt like she knew what it had to offer. She didn't want to take it up, but she knew it was there. Mm -hmm. I also, so, so part of it is about what's the goal in sending them? 
right? And the goal in sending them is for them to know what resources there are. And if they need it, if they're lucky, and if we're lucky that they take it up, right? That they make some connection for themselves. Right. Yeah. Those are the goals. If you send them and they don't like anyone and it was a terrible experience, first of all, I say maybe send them again. Like it doesn't have to be a one and done thing. You get to try a few times or a few places. Um, But also if they decide to not take it up, I think that's okay too for them to start saying no at some point. With my daughter, what I do is I volunteer at camp and take her. So Mm -hmm. she becomes a helper. She's like a CIT with the little kids instead of a camper. So at least she's around diabetes and she's in the soup of diabetes because I think that's important for her, right? It normalizes diabetes for her in our house because there are two of them. It is more normalized than in your house. It's more normalized, Tina, than it is for someone who's a solo kid. So I think a solo diabetic kid in a family. Um, Give me a second here because I'd had a thought about that first situation, the kid who hadn't been for four years. Ah, yes. I'm a big believer in family camp for this very reason, because the kids don't get to decide. If you say we're going to visit grandma at 12, the kids don't say, well, actually, I don't want to visit grandma anymore. I've decided I'm not visiting grandma. Right. Yeah. So when I get the most resistant kids, I really recommend family camp because then it's a family vacation. We're all going. Yeah whatever your resistance is. And it's a, and certainly for my son, when he was diagnosed at nine, this was the only thing we did to get community was family camp. He went kicking and screaming. He did not want to go. And I'm like, I hear that. And we're going to try it. And still to this day at 24, one of his closest friends is from camp. Nice. And, yeah. and we went for years. Like some of my closest friends are from camp. So I think that, that, the joining as a family, this is a family disease, we're all going, we all need this, is a way to take the pressure off um, the child feeling like it's just about their weirdness. I'm putting that in quotes. Mm-hmm. Right. So with you have the 12 year old and you finally are like, yeah, we really need to go to camp. Like life's been too crazy for whatever reason. You can go to family camp. And, and I think there are enough of them around the country that I strongly recommend that even if it's just a weekend camp, because mm-hmm. you can't choose what you don't know. Right. True. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. As a parent, I think we need to expose our kids to things because they can't choose it if they've never done it. And going into camp as an adult is a, is harder and much more limited, right? Like CWD children with diabetes has a, you know, they encourage adults with diabetes to come to that huge conference in Orlando. And there are some, I know the camp near us, which is um, DYF now has a young adult camp option, but there are fewer options for you. If you're a young adult, the, the, the adult retreat that they do up here, I haven't been myself, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's quite phenomenal from my understanding. So, and, and I think that we're hoping to add a young adult awesome. type, because there's a transition period between, yes. you know, campers at our camp, they get to come all the way through their senior year in high school. And then we mm-hmm. hope they just keep coming back as counselors. Right. Um, and as, and as staff and, and continuing that, connection with uh, with other people from I think I don't know if it's PC anymore to say from your tribe so from your <laughs> like I, I don't want to be disrespectful to yeah. the Native Americans so 
Um, but they're, they're people just, you know, to be with their people. Uh, but there is that transition period where we really want to make sure that we're getting those 18 to 22 year olds mm -hmm. who, yeah. you know, like they don't even think of themselves yet as adults. Mm -hmm. They might say, yes, I'm an adult now, but they're baby know. adults. That's the way I think about them. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think that, uh, I think that any of those would work. So let me add a, a wrinkle in that scenario then. So same 12-year-old, but not doing what they're supposed to do. They've mm -hmm. had diabetes since maybe they were eight or nine. Mm -hmm. um, and they still argue about remembering to take insulin or changing a site or, you know, they'll roller coaster from 40 to 400 daily. Um it's interesting, Tina. I don't think that it's an interesting thing that you're bringing this it up in this way, because I don't think that doing well, and I'm putting this in parentheses with diabetes is the marker of whether or not you have to go to camp. It's no, 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 I don't either. I'm just curious. Cause like, be, be, because be in my pre, in my previous question, I made it very like, Oh, they're doing everything they're supposed mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. Do they still need to go to camp? Well, and now, so I just want to say, okay, same thing, but let's uh -huh. just yeah, say yeah. it. It's a kid and he doesn't, he or she doesn't have to be struggling um, or he, she, they don't have to be struggling um, excessively, but just they don't have all of their ducks in a row. And the, and maybe the parent thinks that going to camp will help them develop a little bit more ownership towards managing their diabetes. It could. And and I definitely recommend camp to some parents for that reason. Like I've, I, I definitely will get questions from parents like they're not independent at all. And I'm like, we're not worrying about that. And if you send them to camp, generally they take the leap forward. Right. But I want to be careful here because I don't think of camp as being about that weirdly, even though I know that it can serve in that way as being about giving a sense to a child, to a family, to a parent that they're not the only one in the soup. Oh, I think that's the most important thing about camp. Yep. I just, I'm going off of just questions. I've, I've like, oh, well, my kid's not doing, I mean, the first scenario I gave you is, is actually one that's um, my best friend, mm -hmm. right? Like her child but, was. But let's stay there. Let's stay there a second, because this child who's all shiny with her diabetes, first of all, there's no child. I, I swear to you, because I watch this, right? right yeah. There's, there's nobody who stays shiny with their diabetes always. Right. Absolutely. There's nobody with their diabetes who doesn't at some point need some friends, community, people to lean into. That might be us as their parents, but how nice for them if they have a friend who understands what their experience is. If they're always shiny and they never get sent to camp, then when they crash and burn when they're 20, because it's going to come at some point and they don't have the person, that's a deficit for them. Right. right? Oh, I and think that's, that's a, that is such an important statement because you're right. Like they, yeah, you can be shiny for all those years that you're, you've got a safety net yep. of family when you're out on your own and all of a sudden you're not as shiny. You don't have that, that backup plan yeah. of your people. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that, um, so I guess that's to say, I don't think that how well I'm putting that in quotes you're doing with your diabetes should be a marker of whether or not 
it would be good for you to know what's out there and available, whether or not it would be good for you to feel like, oh, you're not the only person wearing like part cyborg wearing all the technology. I remember the first time I went to camp, I was walking along the path and I saw a test strip and I had this feeling of such intense relief because on my child's school campus, if there was a test strip on the ground, that was my trash. And at camp, I did not cause that test strip, most likely. There were hundreds of people there who probably caused that test strip problem, not me. And it felt really profound for me. So I think that's what we wanna give our children. It's not a measure of like, oh, you're performing well, so you get off, or you're not performing well, so you get off, or you need to go, or whatever it is. And it's not, and again, it's not even like he doesn't want to, or she, or they don't want to, because they don't know. And I think they need probably at least two years to go before they do know whether or not it works for them. And so, again, I think that it's, I think this is, so what I'm, I'm thinking of a family who was diagnosed right before the pandemic, I think. January, probably of 2020. I can't quite remember if that's right. Um, say it again. A tough time. A tough like time. We ended this diagnosis and then everything shuts down. Yes. But easier because you're home. Because okay. mom can watch, right? There's yes and no. Yeah. But this kid is a teenager. He's actually now graduating from high school. So he's probably 18 now. I don't remember. Um, so you have to do the math. So he's like 15 years old. And as soon as camp opened, mom said, you're going to camp. Now they had the kind of relationship where mom had parented like that for years. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of trust that what mom was saying was the right thing, that the child knew that if mom said it, that it was probably truly good and important to do. And he went, started dating someone there who had type one, went back as a little CIT, did all the stuff. Right. But what I'm saying is at no age, is it too late? If you've parented like that, if you've been clear that you have good boundaries with your child, you always get to say up to 18, basically, um, this is what needs to happen now. Because teenage children, because we've been talking about preteen and younger, teenage children also need boundaries. (laughs) Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. what they do with boundaries is they rattle them really, really hard right? And so our job is to be loving and consistent. This does get harder, right? Like if you have a particular kind of kid who hasn't trusted, you haven't been able to parent like that, this might not be the thing to pick up as the battle to fight, right? Maybe the family camp would be. If the family camp accepts families with kids this old, yes, sounds like yours does. Um, If, uh, yes, I agree. Yes, the family camp. I think the family camp option, honestly, is always a better place to start because I think the parents also don't know what they don't know. (laughs) Well, I think it's just, I think it's as important for parents to connect. Yes. It is for um, the kids to connect. So I totally agree. Sometimes just the parents having those connections Mm -hmm. um, will, will help. But, you know, just having that whole family connection, the sibling connection. I think that's, uh, I think family camp is, is an ideal way. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. 
And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices. You want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type 1, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course, a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. Sign up for it at DiabetesSweetTalk.com. So I've said a lot of things, um, and I'm curious how it's all landing for you. Does it answer your question? How do you feel? Because it's different than how you have been thinking about it and holding it. So I just wonder how it feels. Yeah, no, I um, I love, I love that they don't know what they don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that uh, you're right. At when my kids were toddlers and infants, and and even you know early elementary years, I didn't let them choose whether or not to eat or nap or mm-hmm. uh, brush their teeth. They, yes. you know, they, they got to do what I kind of told mm-hmm. them to do. And I made sure that it was a safe and supportive place that those rules were coming from. Yes. Um, and an explanation as to why we're doing that. Like, why do you have to brush your teeth? Well, because your teeth get dirty, just like your hands get dirty and you want to be healthy and you want to be safe. And um, I tried never to do the whole, you know, I'm generation X. So the whole, you're going to do it because I told you to do it, mm-hmm. even if there's no reason to, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I usually try to make sure that my kids understood that there's a reason mm-hmm. why I was making them do something. Um, but I didn't give them choices on a lot of things. I'm thinking about a kid I know who stopped brushing their teeth, much to their mother's horror, um, when they were, I think, 14, just stopped. And it took mom a little while to figure it out. And then mom figured it out. So what do you do with a 14-year-old? It's such a good example you're giving, right? Because you don't, you brush your children's teeth. Like starting at two, you get out that toothbrush and you brush their little teeth and you're teaching them a good habit. And you do it twice a day until they learn that that's something they've internalized. They don't go to sleep without brushing their teeth, more or less, right? They just do it. So this kid at 14 stopped doing it. And so the mom used a strategy to say, you know, you need to do it. I've heard this strategy used also for delivering insulin. You know, you need to do it. Um, we're going to try with me not nagging you. You have a checklist in your room of all the things you need to do, including brushing your teeth twice a day. If you do it, I won't nag you at all about it the next day. It's, it's on you. Right. So, so this is the reason I'm giving this as an example, Tina, is you had this beautiful idea of you create the structure, but what are the choices inside the structure? And I'm going to have to think a little bit out about how this applies to camp. Maybe it applies to camp in that kind of like as a parent thinking, I know you need to do it. We both know you need to do it. And you get to choose. You could go to family camp or team camp. Which one would you prefer? Right? So there's a choice inside the structure. We're still holding the safety. We're still holding the limits, but we're creating choices inside, right? Because we know that we want our kid to keep their teeth. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. But the whole, you don't know until you know that I think that really Mm -hmm. resonates with me. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is one of the previous directors at DYF, the camp near me, um, she told a story that when she was diagnosed, her mom sent her to camp and she hated it. And she came home and her mother said the next year, you have to go back because I need a break. And she went again and then she loved it. 
So I really do think, again, I think that story tells two things. One is you don't know in, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and it might take a minute. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the other piece of it is it's a family disease. Moms deserve breaks. Families deserve breaks. And if that's what they need, I have a family I'm working with right now where the mom is a single mom. She's going to send her son to camp. He has all kinds of social issues, right? It's very hard for him. And she said, this is a growth zone for you. This is important. You can do it. So some of this is about how the parents are conceptualizing their um, authority, right? So parents who are saying, he doesn't want to go. I feel like, wait, who's in charge here, right? Because you get to, not, not that you're a like a, military person slamming into your kid. But our children do need limits. They need to understand what's good for all of us, right? Um, and they often don't know what's good for them. So I think I think that that this is exactly right. Like you're picking up on exactly what I think is the most important piece is they don't know. And we as parents have to guide them in that direction if we believe that it's what's best for them. Yeah. I think that's good. I'm I'm glad for this conversation because I really, I I really was kind of a. I just don't think you should force diabetes interactions, whether it's a camp or a day, day event or, like I really did kind of come into this thinking like, that's an extracurricular type thing that you shouldn't force on your child. Um, but I don't judge the parents who force the violin on their children in a bad way. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, no, absolutely. I think learning how to play an instrument builds neural pathways that you can't get any other way. So absolutely, you should force your child to play an instrument. Um, but see, I don't, I want to even shift your language a little bit. Like you could say the same thing about going to church, right? True. Chil if children are not exposed to religion, and that's a big one for many people out there, they're not going to choose it. For sure. It's this, right. especially in, in our sort of modern culture and how we think of how many people think about religion, right? right? They can't choose it unless they go. It's also very foreign, right? So I wouldn't use the word force. I'd use the word introduce. There we go. Yeah, that's a better word. Same, like with, same with violin lessons. They're not being forced. They're actually violin, all these things, they're privileges. They really are. Because yeah. Parents know that they will get something out of this that um that they wouldn't get if they didn't know if 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 we didn't introduce it to them right these are all privileges they don't always feel like that about it but they don't again i'm coming back to the same statement they don't know what they don't know right well and i've met families as you know in my previous career as a teacher where you know you'll have um you'll have middle schoolers oftentimes would complain about, you know, oh, my parents make me go do this and they make me go do this. And it's, it's, it's some, you know, music lesson or, you know, uh, Taekwondo or swimming or whatever it is, like the parents make them. Inevitably, there's always at least one or two kids in the class go, oh, I wish my parents could do that for me. Mm -hmm. because they can't because they don't have the financial means to do that for their children. So you have some kids who look at it as a burden and other kids look at it like, oh, if only I could have that that opportunity. And I think 
sometimes camp can be no different. I mean, camp can be expensive. And while I think every camp that I've ever known has tried to make scholarships available mm-hmm. to people who, who need them, it's still, it's still a cost, mm-hmm. even if it's just the transportation, getting the child there, or there's still costs. So it's still a privilege. It's still a, um, an opportunity. Yeah. To experience something that not everybody can. And I think there's a lot of really underserved totally populations. So. I agree 100%. And, and there's, there's just that, time in the summer or volunteers or to, to get to all of those kids. So I think too, I, I think that uh, that's just something to people. I definitely like the, the word introduce instead of force. Mm-hmm. So introducing the kids to these opportunities because mm-hmm. they are opportunities. Yep. Um, Yep. So yeah, even that language could be used by parents, I think, when they're when they're telling their kid, hey, there's this there's this camp that I would I would like you to go to. Mom, I don't want to go to a camp and uh, you can't force me. No, you're right. I don't I'm not gonna force you, but I'd like to introduce it to you and then mm-hmm. you give it, you know, it's an opportunity and you give it a chance. So mm-hmm. yep. just changing the language for those kids too, so they don't see it as a a punishment. A- yeah, I mean, I think some of them feel like it's a punishment because they got diabetes, so they're being double punished. Mm-hmm. I, I think it also depends on why the child what want, sorry, doesn't want to go, right? So you could have a child who's very hesitant about being away from home, right? Mm-hmm. And for those kids, they need a lot of scaffolding, mm-hmm. right? If you do decide to send them for an overnight camp, like before you might have sent them if they didn't have type 1 for example, or even if this is the first experience you're sending them for an overnight camp. And, you know, so I know of some parents who will get pictures so that they really know what everything looks like so that it's a very well scaffolded experience if they know that that's what their child needs. So I wouldn't, I I pay attention to what is the resistance, right? Because it can be variable. We're sort of, we've been talking about it as though the resistance is, I don't want to be with all those other type one weird kids, right? And that's yeah, but I put a reason. I mean, I to me, um, some of some of the times that my youngest may not have wanted to go to camp as a high schooler was he didn't want to be away from his screen time. Oh, he didn't well, want that's... to be away from his friends. Uh-huh. So to him, going to camp meant no screen time, no uh-huh. whatever it is he plays on his computer all the time. So, um. For him, that's that was a big issue to be away from his non-diabetic friends for um, a period of time. Mm-hmm. So that that was his reluctance, right? And so that is, and again, it would depend to me how many years has he gone to camp. Like for, to have a kid spend the whole summer playing games on a computer, that for me, that doesn't feel healthy or good. No, it's not. Right. And so then I would say, okay, if you're not wanting to go to camp and you've been to camp five times already and you don't want to go anymore, it's 16 years old. All right. What else are you going to do so that you're not on screens all summer? Because this is not acceptable to me. And if you can't show me by this date that you can get off the screens and do the other thing, then you're going to go to camp. Right. So again, it's different depending on the exact situation, but I think, I think this is a good outline. Yeah, no, I, this has been a, this has been a great conversation. And even though all of my kids are now adults and I am out of the, out of the, uh, 
you're going to camp. Although even now as an adult and somebody who runs the programs, when I'm looking at staffing, I'm like, you know what, we still need volunteers for elementary week and <laughs> we're not doing I'm gonna need you to go to camp. <laughs> um and, and thankfully my my kids are always very happy to be involved and yeah. and it's like if, for some kids, it sounds like for yours, um, camp can become like a, a home. And and it most kids tend to outgrow it because they get regular jobs or they, you know, their life circumstances change. For my son, camp was definitely a kind of home for a while and is no longer like this is not what he wants anymore. But that's okay. There's something embedded inside of him of like, you can have community around this. It's there and available to you if you want it. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. When I'm that's what we want them to know. They don't have to take us up on it for the rest of their lives. We just want them to understand that it's there. Yeah, no, this has been wonderful. And, Thanks, and Tina. So glad that uh, I asked and, you know. I'm so glad to meet you and get to think about this with you. Yes, absolutely. So, fantastic. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.